So as he entered into the tent, it was very dim, very dark. But he could see over in the corner, that's where his father lay, a little heap, a big heap. He's old. He couldn't really do much. He doesn't see much. But Jacob enters into the tent very nervously because he is pretending to be someone who he's not. He even dresses like the person he's trying to be. He's put hair on his arms because this person is hairy. He even smells like the person he's trying to be. His clothes smell like that person. And when he comes in, his father stirs and says, already back? And Jacob says, yes, God blessed me and I'm back sooner than you expected with the game, the hunted animal that you want, barbecued to perfection. But you don't sound like my son Esau, the father whispers hoarsely. And Jacob starts to sweat. He smells the trap. He knows I'm a fake. I'm a phony. I'm going to be found out. And so Isaac, the father, asks him this question. Who are you? And without knowing that Jacob is about to reveal the course of his life, he answers, I am Esau. And of course, as you learned last week, right? Isaac is duped into this and he blesses the wrong son. He blesses Jacob. He was supposed to bless Esau, but Jacob wanted that blessing. So Jacob goes into the tent and says, I am Esau. Look, I dress like him. I smell like him. I'll work on talking like him in a minute, but I am Esau. And he has to convince the people around him that he is a person that everyone else has accepted that he wanted to be. You remember when we were at that passage last week that we read that Isaac, the father, loved Esau, the older brother. He loved Esau because he ate of his game. Esau was this hairy man full beard, broad-shouldered, deep-voiced. You know, when he walked, people said, that's authority, that's a leader, that's charisma. And his dad loved him. This was the boy to lead the family into the, the promises God has for this family of Israel. But the problem is, how did that make Jacob feel? And we don't know for certain, but we know that Jacob bonded with mom probably because he knew that dad didn't love me, or at least he didn't accept me the way that I am. And Jacob has a chip on his shoulder that he is not good enough. And when he goes in before his father, he utters the deepest profound wish of his heart that I wish I was someone else like Esau. Who are you? I'm Esau. Now, every day, we have the same question offered to us. Who are you? And I don't mean in a literal sense, because I hope you would just say your name. There's nothing wrong with that. But in the way that people ask us how your week has been, how do you answer that? 
You're naming who you are by how you answer questions people ask about you. Do you try to make yourself sound busier than you are? Because in your head, busyness means importance. Do you talk about all the glowing moments of your life and try to make this person feel impressed with what a wonderful life you have? We do this. Um, Social media is full of this. We just basically throw our highlights up and people see a sliver of our life. They see the smiling couple that have their arms around each other and you're thinking, wow, I wish I was them because you know that you just had a fight with your spouse last night. You see friends. I don't know what everybody likes to do in here, but in bowling, (laughs) uh, they're bowling together and you're like, hey, I know five of those six people. Why wasn't I invited? And now suddenly you wish you were somebody else. And often, this is what I've experienced, is I could be having a great life. I go on something, either it's Instagram or Facebook, and all it takes is one picture of a friend by the Eiffel Tower, and suddenly I'm a loser. (laughs) And my life is so boring. Because when, this happens is we look around and we want to be like that person or we want our life to have this kind of meaning. So we go around and when we are talking and we're interacting, we're never saying I'm Jacob because we're ashamed of Jacob. We don't feel like Jacob is good enough. We say I'm Esau because Esau is that picture of what we want to be. Esau is the one that we see the people we respect accepting and we want to be that So we begin to dress like him. We begin to smell like him. We try to imitate like him. I had a friend when I was in high school, and I know that was the hardest time for me. I think God allowed me to wrestle a lot in high school with envy so that I could be semi-okay with myself by the time I was in my 30s. I had this friend in high school who drove me nuts. Not because he was an annoying person or a bad person. Far from it. He was a genuine person. He was a nice person. I was friends with this person. We had a lot of late night conversations together. We had fun together. He tried to get me into running unsuccessfully at the time. (laughs) But we would do, and he was just that friend everybody needs who would just do spontaneous, random, crazy things that you would just never think of doing. And you always balk at, like, I don't want to do that. Like, oh, come on. He has this way of persuading you. And so you do it anyways, and you hate yourself afterward for doing it. Nothing like, I don't, well, this, this does happen to people like, you know, crazy bad things, but I just mean like, like, uh, <laughs> good fun things. I don't, <laughs> like jumping into the ocean naked at Hawaii, <laughs> things like that, you know? <laughs> um, things I was not comfortable with, but he f- apparently was great with. Uh, so he was just like that person everybody has in their life and needs in their life. But he would drive me crazy because whenever we were hanging out with people who I wanted attention from, I wanted to be considered important before, he was always the only person in existence in those groups. Do you know people like that? Like wherever you go, that person's the center, no matter who you are, what you do. And I always felt insignificant. I always felt like I wasn't enough. And every time he was around, I just seethed with envy that I want his people skills. I want that personality. I want that ability to move a room when I come in. And really all of that envy was just saying, I want the world to think I'm awesome. And so in this comparison game, I just began to celebrate any time something bad happened to him. Because I wanted people to notice me for a change. 
And this continues on to various extents, less obvious ways into adulthood, but it nonetheless continues on, where we are creating a social construct. In other words, when we're before people, we want a certain image that comes across, and it's rarely our genuine selves. And I don't just mean as simple as a mask, like, oh, I'm fine, nothing's wrong with me. But no, you literally hide behind things like your position and your job or your kids or the stories, or you hide behind these things that make, you want people to see you in a certain way. And some of you learn that, that when you come to church, there's a narrative you've had to buy into that when you come into a place like a church, people talk a certain way and they expect a certain behavior from you. So you learned real quick how to dress and talk and smell like a Christian. Because you enter into that tent and you say, oh, I'm Esau. We've all experienced this on many levels. Jacob did not have an easy life because of this. Jacob went around wrestling everywhere he went. We meet him and he's wrestling with his brother. I'm going to take your birthright for a bowl of soup. I'm going to steal your blessing. Then Esau wants to kill him after. He wrestles with his brother. He wrestles with his father who apparently doesn't love him enough trying to get his attention. He wrestles then with Laban, his uncle, who he goes to run away to to hide out from his murderous brother and disappointed father. And Laban doesn't quite seem to see Jacob as enough. Jacob and Laban wrestle for many years. Seven years, Jacob works for his daughter, Rachel. And Laban, at the last minute, does the wife swap on him and gives him uh, 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 Leah instead. And Jacob's like, what in the world did you do to me? And so then, you know, gets another few years out of him, gives him Rachel. And so he's wrestling with Laban. And then when the whole sheep thing comes along, Laban's raising sheep and Jacob's raising sheep. And then they begin to fight amongst each other of who's ripping each other off over the sheep. Jacob is wrestling with people everywhere he goes. And then if you think he would actually have shelter in his family that loved him, no, no. His wives wrestle with him all the time and they wrestle over each other about who gets to be in his bed that night. It's a, it's a, it's a disastrous life of wrestling, wrestling, wrestling because Jacob doesn't know who Jacob is. Jacob thinks Esau is what it means to live. So he tries to be Esau in every way and everywhere he goes, he finds a wrestling match. This is the most exhausting life you can live. And finally, he's going to have to wrestle with God because that's where every single wrestling match eventually goes. What does it mean to have to live like Esau all the time? It's this exhausting wrestling effort of having to build, to protect, to promote, and to prove yourself. This is who I am. You build that image up. Now you have to protect it. If people start to criticize this image you have, what do you do? You fight back. I have to protect this. No, you're wrong. I'm right. You have to promote it. Hey, 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 uh, I did this really cool thing. I, re- I was really cool. I helped this person with their groceries. I'm now I'm pretty cool, aren't I? See, this nice guy I'm trying to protect. But didn't you yell at my brother? No, no, no. Your brother was in the wrong, you see. Building, protecting, promoting, and proving. So now, when you have opportunities to show, <laughs> I am the best public speaker on this mountain, 
you're going to take every opportunity you can get to prove that. You're shoving yourself in people's faces and say, hey, 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 you really, I have this like word to share. Like you really need me to get into your place so that I can talk. And you're always trying to prove yourself. And, and you always bring up, remember that one time when I talked about this, how awesome that was? And I mean, sometimes we're not this exaggerated, but this idea of having to build, protect, promote, and prove ourselves comes out in a variety of ways. And usually we are much too sophisticated to obviously, but we do it very subtly. And if we're not doing it out loud, we're doing it inside and we're getting riled up every time somebody attacks this image we built up. That's what it's like to live like Esau when your name is Jacob. It is an exhausting wrestling match everywhere you go. Everybody's a threat. Everybody has the potential to expose your true puny self. And every opportunity is a moment to try to say, no, this is who I am. You can't just live. So, Jacob, in chapter 32 of Genesis, has been away for some decades. He's about to meet his brother Esau. He's coming home finally. It's homecoming. There's a lot of dead bodies he buried at home, metaphorically. And he's coming back, and he's going to be haunted by these ghosts. And Esau's the first that's going to encounter him. So he is terrified. It says he was absolutely scared out of his mind when he found out Esau was coming to meet him. Because the last thing he knew about Esau, his brother, was that Esau wanted to kill him. And he is remembering after years and years of reflecting and being cheated on himself by Laban, what he did to his brother. And he knows he deserves every beating that's coming. And he is scared. So he does what everybody who's still trying to build, protect, promote, improve themselves does. He gathers an enormous amount of his wealth, cattle, sheep, and so forth, and servants. And he begins to send them in droves, one after another, to Esau. To sort of assuage his fear, or his anger, yes. Like, hey, hey, I'm your servant. I'm giving you these things. Also to slow him down from coming as he has to each time stop and meet this caravan and add more weight to his train as he continues forward. Yes, strategic in those ways, but also is Jacob trying to prove himself to his brother? Hey, before you want to come kill me, just know I'm a very successful person. Our years of absence, I've actually acquired quite a family and quite an amount of resources. I'm important. You might want to be on my side. Isn't that what it's like to live like someone else? To try to build, protect, promote, improve yourself? So he's still wrestling. And then comes the climax and the turning point of his life. So we've read it. It starts in verse 22. So he's alone now. What is he thinking? Is he plotting? Is he praying? We don't know. We just know it's dark. He's alone. And that's when someone jumps him. 
we find out at the end of the text that this person is apparently God. It doesn't actually say that, but kind of hints because Jacob says, I saw God face to face and I'm alive. So this is either God's messenger or it's God in human flesh. We don't really know, but he has this wrestling match and this person is the representation of God in his life. And they are wrestling and it's going on and on because Jacob is a strong human and he is going at him toe to toe for all night until finally the sun starts to break over the horizon and that's when our stranger cheats. Why not? I'm playing your rules, Jacob. (laughs) He touches his socket, the, the hip, and then it comes out of place. And Jacob is screaming in pain. He can no longer hold himself up. So he's clutching at this stranger and he's saying, the stranger is saying, let me go. I've got to go. I totally just defeated you so that I can get out of here. You're holding on to me. You won't let me go. The sun's breaking. I don't want anybody to see what I did to you. I'm out of here. But he won't let him go. He's like, no, no, you have to bless me first. And that's when the stranger just looks at him and says, what's your name? Who are you? And there's this moment where you have this once strong-willed person who's trying to build, protect, promote, improve himself has to decide, am I still Esau? Or have I finally come face-to-face with who I really am? I'm Jacob. And he utters the biggest confession some of us can ever make to this stranger. And he says, I am Jacob. Not anymore, says the stranger. You are now Israel. Because you've been wrestling all your life and have finally prevailed. Wait, 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 wait. Now you can imagine him right down here, completely in pain because of his hip. He is exhausted from a long wrestling match and he's looking up at this guy pleading for blessing and the guy tells him, you just finally won after a life of wrestling. And he's thinking, "Uh, wait, didn't you win? I'm the one crying for mercy and blessing on the ground. I can't even hold myself up. And I won? This is the strange, bizarre truth about Christianity. is that it tells us in so many ways, in so many places, that you win, you prevail when you lose when you give up and surrender and cry for mercy. It is so backward from our thinking because we're born in our insignificance and in our insecurity. We think I have to build myself into something. I have to protect this something. I have to promote this something and I have to prove this something to the world. And we keep on doing that with all of our energy and this life of wrestling. And then we finally crumble and we think, no, I lost it. Now I am a nobody. And that's when God says, no, 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 no. Yes, you're no longer Esau, but now that you know that you are a nobody and you're just Jacob, now I can make you into who you really are. I read this really neat analogy in a blog. The author described 
how with God, losing is winning. And the author described it this way. She's a mother of kids, and she will, you guys probably uh, know this tradition, superstition, when you, when you give kids a wishbone from the turkey, and they both, the two kids, pull on both ends of it, and it breaks. And the one with the bigger end gets their wish, right? That's why you call it a wishbone. Well, this mother will do this with her kid, and they will pull on the wishbone, and if the kid gets the bigger part, then he wins, right? But then when the mom pulls it and gets the bigger part, her wish is that his wish will come true. And so that there, no matter what happens, he wins. Even when he loses, he wins. And this is what happens to Jacob, who thinks he's Esau all his life, who's trying to be somebody who's not, who's building, who's protecting, who's promoting, who's proving himself. And he comes face to face with God. And then God touches him in a certain spot, just that soft spot in which your ego has been trying to protect all your life. You've been trying to prove that part. And that's the part that God likes to touch. And that's when you cave in. But that's also when you win. Because now you're no longer trying to do things your way and in your strength. You've given up the wrestling match and you can become the person you've always been created to be. The promise way back with Abraham that he's going to have offspring to bless the whole world has now finally passed on to Isaac and now to Jacob. And Jacob is named the name we now know that brought the blessing to the world. He's named Israel. Because now in this place of brokenness and woundedness and hurt and lostness, and I don't even know who I am anymore, now he's one. He goes from a man who's wrestling to a man who's leaning. And as he limps out of our scene, we see the sun coming up. Very beautiful picture of the new day he's entering into. He's a changed man. Not because he finally made himself Esau and proved it, but because he finally lost as Esau and became a new person. He's leaning. He's limping. That's the way forward. Now, Israel is a different. If, if Esau is somebody who has to build himself, protect himself, promote himself, and prove himself, Israel is somebody who has to be broken. They have to limp. They have to lean on someone. They have to lose. That's what it means to be Israel. Broken, limp, lean, lose. That is so different than build, protect, promote, and prove. So we tonight are the story. You are Jacob. Jacob is you in your neutral. That's, that's, that's you. But it's not how you operate. Usually we operate, we're Jacob, but we operate as either Esau or Israel. Paul had to learn, he tells us in Galatians 2 verse 20, that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith or by limping and leaning on Christ. He had to learn, look, I'm Paul, but for a long time, I try to be this Saul figure. 
who built an image as a leading Pharisee, who had to protect Judaism by killing Christians, who had to promote myself by sharing all my wealth and knowledge, improve myself by showing the religious establishment how zealous I am for God by killing these heretics. That is who he was, but he learned to let that die at the cross. He learned to limp, to be wounded, to lose. And then Paul realizes that now I am a different child in God. And we live as Jacob, and we're often in this wrestling match of, I'm trying to be Esau, this person I'm building, promoting, protecting, improving. When all the while God says, but as a child of God, you are Israel. And I have someone that I want you to live, a broken, leaning, limping, losing person. But in those moments, you're going to find yourself truly thrive. This is why we don't like to be Israel. It's the harder way. It's the way of giving up. It's the way of getting hurt in a way that heals. In a sense, we have two conversions in everyone's life. Jacob did. He was first converted at Bethel when he was running from Esau. Remember how he slept on a rock on his way to Laban's house? He slept on a rock And there he had a dream in which God appeared and said, you are going to carry on the blessing that I gave to Abraham. I am going to use you to save the world. I'm, I'm summarizing. He had that dream. Boom. He now knows he's God's. But it took him the rest of his life to stop wrestling and to start leaning on God. It took him the rest of his life. So it wasn't until years later, he's at another place of conversion, the river Jabbok. And there he's converted again. But this time, see, this time he knew over here at Bethel, he knew, all right, cool. I am a child of God. But finally over here where he's wounded, he realizes this is how I live as a child of God. This is, Israel is who you are in Jesus. Israel is the true you, the you that God made you to be, the, God, uh, the you that God gave potential to become, the one who's living under his mercy and leaning upon his power and his strength. You see, we start off like Esau in the first place. We, when we're first saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. That's how the Bible says you know you're a Christian because the Holy Spirit is in your life and you feel the satisfaction of the Holy Spirit presence and you see some results of him at work in your life, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, those things coming out. But it takes most of us, most of our life to finally learn how to, once you receive the spirit, to release the spirit, to let the spirit now become the power of your life and to start working through you and moving you and blessing the people around you because of him in you and you're letting the spirit work. But when you're Esau, you cannot let the Holy Spirit do this in the world because you are the one who's building, protecting, promoting, improving. And it isn't until we're broken, we're limping, we're leaning and we're losing that the Holy Spirit can say, now I have a chance. It's, it's as if the highways from which the Holy Spirit travels on are through the pain and brokenness in our lives. It is the only way the Holy Spirit moves. 
And until there are cracks in our being to let him out, it just stays in here and you're a pretty mundane person in the world. Yes, saved, but not really blessing the world. He's broken, he's cracked, he's shattered, he's weeping, he's limping, he's leaning. Now he agrees with the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You guys know this one. Second Corinthians twelve nine, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power comes to its full potential. That's what perfect means in your weakness. Paul limped like Jacob. He has this thorn in the flesh, is what he calls it. Jacob would have called it, I have a hip out of place because God poked me. <laughs> Paul doesn't name it, but he calls it something irritating like that in the side. Just like, oh, it bugs me every time I move. Everywhere I go, it's just nagging at me. It, some sort of weakness in his life is doing this. And it says that he asked God to take it away three times. And God's only answer three times was, Paul, my power, my grace is enough for you. Because this power and grace, the Holy Spirit's work in your life, comes through in the moments you lose, in the moments you're weak, in the moments you feel incapable, in the moments you feel like a measly little Jacob clinging to a stranger begging for a blessing. It continues, uh, therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Jacob ends like this in the Bible. Hebrews 11.21. Hebrews 11.21 makes one last mention of our Jacob. And there we read, the author says, remember that's the, the, the chapter that lists all the heroes of the faith. Jacob's in there because of this. It said, by faith, Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph, worshiping God while he leaned upon his staff. That's Jacob in the hall of faith, leaning, limping, losing, depending upon that staff. So we see this importance of allowing ourselves to give up the wrestling match, which doesn't mean losing, in order that God can bless and work through us to the world. We must lean. Not the superhero that's running in the front of the pack, follow me, I'm strong. But rather, the guy who's limping in the front of the pack saying, hobble with me, we'll make it. 
That is the true picture of leadership in the Bible. Those are the people that God's power is at work in. And sometimes we are robbing this opportunity because we'd rather keep pushing forward our qualifications and our perfections and our proving that I am Esau. Don't tell me differently. Our Esau must become Israel. Our false, made-up, pretentious, built-up, protected, promoted, proven self must be broken into a leaning, limping, losing person who's actually succeeding and prevailing because of the Holy Spirit now being the true power in your life. We must make that progression. We must be willing to say, I am a Jacob. And when we do so, we find out we're growing into Israel. We're growing into the child who we are in Christ. We're tapping into that identity and position. So let's lean on Christ. I'm inviting you. I know it's a daring challenge. Come to the wrestling pit and get hurt. But I'm inviting you to come and face your true person in God. And you might find that it's actually not as pretty as you wanted it to be. And that you might lose the wrestling match and he might poke you where you didn't want him to poke you. Or this may have already happened. And you already feel broken and you're leaning. It doesn't matter if it's going to happen or if it has happened. It needs to happen though. And I'm inviting you that to see that it's actually good if we learn to lean on Christ. That is really what faith is in the Bible. The New Testament talks all about living by faith. It means leaning with God as we limp on our weaknesses. So, lean on Christ. I'm going to give you guys four um, ideas of ways that you can maybe start to go from Esau to Israel. These are ways that I, I try to keep them. It's, it's hard, but I try to keep them practice and try to keep as much of Esau dead in me as possible. Uh, he comes up a lot, though. It only takes someone to poke the wrong spot, and I... Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I try to practice this to keep myself at the losing end of the wrestling match. And I didn't try to force this. It just happened. Um, I had three of them spell the letter, the word lean. And so I came up with the last one to make it spell lean. Isn't that cool? So it's like an acronym, lean. How do you lean? Well, here we go. Let's do this. L, you have to let go. You have to let go of the person you want to be. You cannot look around or think within yourself, if only I was Esau. You have to let go of whatever image has attracted you to try to become that. It's pulling at you. Here you are, this Jacob. God is calling you to be Israel, but this is pulling you over here. And like, but I am Esau. You have to let go of that. Now, letting go is really difficult for people. Um, I, was, I was gifted a massage for my birthday. And while I'm getting this miraculous thing called a massage... And it's also painful, but healing, right? Um, the, the, the person said that you have to be able to let go of tension in your body. Otherwise, it doesn't work. You have to let go of your muscular tension. Just like let things go limp. Um, and that was an interesting concept. Because sometimes we just kind of hold tight. And we don't want to lose things. Loss feels bad. Loss feels like the world is ending. But God is saying, sometimes you just got to let go before you can start. If our fists are like this, 
we can never receive what he's giving. Notice how the stranger that uh, was wrestling Jacob tells Jacob, you've got to let me go. You can't cling on to me like this. And Jacob had to learn to say, ah, goodbye, my years of effort. Hello to I don't know what. But letting go requires that we're trusting God on our journey. Second, E, early morning prayer. (laughs) Now, often we say things like this. It doesn't matter when you pray, just pray. Absolutely. However, if you can also pray in the morning, you will gain more from it. And here's why. I need to pray in the morning before the world offers me choices to become Esau. I have to wake up and listen to God in prayer and from scripture, what it means to be Israel, what it means to live as a child born of God so that when I go into my day and there are demands and pressures to prove myself, protect myself, build myself, promote myself, I can say, no, I've actually already established today that I'm a person who's leaning on Christ. And what I do in early morning prayer is I don't just busy the time with all these requests. I have time for that too, but I allow it to be quiet time so that any Thoughts that come into my head, I can look at and recognize because generally the first things that are coming to my head are not the best thoughts to live out. (laughs) And I begin to see Esau coming up very early in the morning. And I sit there and I say, yup, not that today. And then I have a prayer for God. Uh, God, give me your love today. Esau pops back in. God, give me your peace today. Esau comes back in. God, give me your joy today. And this is just how I like to, on a good day, start my day. So we L, let go. E, early morning prayer. A, we have to accept reality. We have to accept reality that God has put circumstances in our lives. He's given us traits and qualities to ourselves And we simply have to accept them. What I found is I often get myself into trouble when I resist it. When I say, no, that person is not talking to me today. No, that's not true. That person's ignorant opinion is wrong. Or you just have these like defenses and we put these, these defenses and we say, nope, nope, we have to protect ourselves. Sometimes we have to break those down and accept maybe I am not very nice to my wife. Maybe I am too busy. Maybe I am not a good listener. Maybe I should allow this person who apparently God keeps allowing my life. Maybe I should just accept their presence and learn from them. Accepting reality can be painful, but not as painful as resisting reality. Do you know that that's when we get hurt the worst is when we resist what God's trying to do and it's in that pushing back and striving and straining. That's when you pull hamstrings and things in in an athletic analogy, but just to allow God to do what he's doing. So let go early AM prayer, accept reality, that's L-E-A and then N. Um, We have to learn to name our impulses 
And this is what I mean. So somebody does something to you, they kind of push that sensitive button, and you have an impulse. You have a, a natural reflexive habit, and you just want to respond a certain way. We have to start to see these impulses and name them. So when that is button is pressed, and I want to do this, I have to say, well, that sounds like Esau. <laughs> or in those more rarer moments when something happens and I feel strangely that God is working through me, I have to stop and name what's going on. I'm trusting on God right now. That's what happens when I trust in God. And this works really well in the prayer time. As, as these things start coming up and surfacing in your life, you realize that is Esau. Oh, that's actually Isaac, uh, uh, Israel. You might be thinking about, you know what? I know these people are in need. I could do this for them. And then people are going to see me as this really generous person. And then you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's Esau. (laughs) Stop, buddy. Let's just do the whole service thing and forget about who's watching. That's Israel. It's learning to identify. So noticing when our impulses are coming up and then naming them and starting to learn, okay, that is not me in Christ. That's me trying to be who I wish I was. But this is me in Christ. This is me as a son or daughter of God. And so by naming those things, we begin to get better at seeing them in life so that even in moments, you can start to identify it. You're like, whoa, I was about to do that, but I know that's that person. I'm going to do this. So there are practices. So lean on Christ. Let go early morning prayer. Accept reality and name your impulses. And so as we learn to lean on him, this is what we're going to see is that we're going to see reconciliation between us and people that we haven't been getting along with and the church and the world at large and lost people in Christ. We're going to see this coming together because God reconciles the world and he reconciles broken people and he brings things together through the ironic form of breaking. This is what Jesus did. He went to the cross and he was broken and through that brought us back to God. And the New Testament also says races, different races, uh, even gender it talks about in the New Testament and, and social class, slave and free. They are coming together in Jesus because through his brokenness and our brokenness, we are all being reconciled. And if you keep reading the story, Jacob meets Esau and they hug. This is the gospel in this little story. That God is breaking people so that they can become the true sons and daughters of God who allow him to work through their lives so that people are no longer fighting and want to kill each other or trying to impress each other, but instead they're embracing and hugging each other for who we are and going limping on each other through life. God will heal the world. He'll reconcile it through brokenness. Are you willing to be part of the plan? The worship team is going to come up and lead us in a song so that we can take communion where we celebrate the brokenness of Jesus. But know the power too of taking it in. You're allowing a broken, a God who is vulnerable, who will allow himself to be broken. You're allowing his work inside of you. So don't be surprised if you are inviting God to touch that spot in your life that will land you on your face. And if it happens, don't resist. Let God win.